0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Woodworking Podcast. My name is Nick Ferry. I can be found at nickferry.com. And as normal, I am joined with April Wilkerson from Wilkerdoos.com. Go ahead and say hi, April. Hey, everyone. And also joined with Jay Bates from Jay's Custom Creations.com. Go ahead and say hello, Jay.
1: Hello, Jay.
0: I totally saw that one coming. Anyways, uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes of it, uh, I just wanted to thank a couple contributors since the last podcast. Uh, We have Scott Griffith and Matthew Lewis. So thank you both so very much.
1: Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys.
0: And busting right into the breaking news about what we're working on, or I guess what's on the bench type thing, uh, I am uh, just finishing up the video edit of when Jay and April came to visit. The alarm nice. clock, the alarm clock table with the uh, spalted, or no, it's not spalted. It's ambrosia, curly ambrosia maple top.
2: How's it coming
1: out? That was a nice, nice project.
0: It is. It, uh, I showed it to a couple buddies last night and, uh, they were like, wow, that, that turned out really nice. And it did. It. The funny thing is it's not going to match anything in his room, but it'll be the like fanciest thing in there.
2: <laughs> now you're, you'll just have to make him all matching furniture. Give you tons of video.
0: Yeah, that actually wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, But I'll just have to find the time for that. But no, that turned out super nice. And uh, that comes out Sunday, the 28th, as well as April's working on a video for that collaboration as well.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we use mortise and tenon joinery for the build. And so my video is about... I was putting it together, and I don't remember doing so many different ways. But whenever I was editing it, we did about five or six different ways of doing mortise and tenons. So uh, I might actually have to cut some, but I don't know. We'll see. I'm still I'm still playing with the footage. But right now, of course, the video is really long because I'm still in the rough edit phase.
0: Yep, I hear that. But you should you should try and get them all in there. I think it was it was a good uh, overall. If you want to do mortise and tenon, here are like the most popular ways
2: yeah it's a good compilation definitely
0: did you learn anything new when when doing those
2: oh yeah i mean i've never done mortise and tenon so all of all of the different techniques and methods were were new to me i'd seen jay do one in a video of the and i got it on footage for the for the video um but i really prefer i think your mortise uh hollow mortise chisel chisel
0: hollow chisel mortiser yeah <laughs> there you go it's, it's one of those kind of a unitask tool, you know, it doesn't do anything other than, you know, mortises. But um, my background is I did a lot of arts and crafts and mission style furniture. So mortise and tenon was, uh, you know, ubiquitous in that type of furniture. So I wasn't going to do say a bed with, I don't know, 60 or 70 mortises and try and do those by hand that was you know but a router you know works really good too i mean and jay's got the video that we're going to be referencing using the uh, router to make mortises as well
2: mm-hmm. or even the, the the one i used um, from your sled using your sled to do it just clamp it in place i mean that also went really quick
0: that, yeah so for the maybe, tenons yeah yeah mm-hmm. so maybe
2: once i actually cut the cut the or make a sled i can then start cutting my tenons on
0: that very cool and then the only other thing that i'm working on is a well i'm finishing a computer desk and a little background on this i i've been editing all my youtube stuff for two years on a laptop and that's basically wherever my lap resided i like that old joke about you know where does your lap go when you stand up but anyways uh just a laptop and i was debating getting a a desktop computer and i was going to literally put a piece of like osb on some sawhorses and then just put it in my kitchen for the time being, just to get through it. <laughs>
1: I've been down that route. Don't do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, then it morphed. It slowly morphed into like, I don't want sawhorses in my house. So I just went uh, online and got some tubular steel legs pre-painted. And so, okay, those came in. I'm like, wow, those look really nice. I don't want to just put those on a piece like OSB. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll do a, a, a top to it. And this was never going to be a video. This was just supposed to be a quick project. I'm like, well, I got that chunk of Baltic birch, and I'll, I'll highlight the edge of it. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'll laminate it to make it stronger. I'm like, oh, crap, now this is a video. So <laughs> I, I got it all all videoed and stuff, so that should come out the following week. It turned out pretty nice. I like it for a simple desk. That's good. April, what do you, what do you got going?
2: Uh, pretty much the same thing. Uh, working on the video for Sunday's release. I'm uh, packing to go to Atlanta, Georgia tomorrow, and then also trying to finish the lathe stand. Um, just a whole bunch of stuff. And then of course, this recording the podcast,
1: (laughs) your lathe stand though, looks pretty interesting. You showed me some stuff uh, behind the scenes, but what are those slide out or fold out articulating out? What is that called? Those arms you're using for the grinder.
2: The brackets are actual mixer lifts. So I think that the reason that they were invented in the first place was to those KitchenAid mixers that are really popular. Um, they're to store on like a bottom cabinet in the kitchen, but then they, they fold out and like lock into place to where they're now level with the countertop. That way, whenever you're not using the mixer, it can tuck away and fold in the bottom cabinets. But then whenever you want to use it, it comes out level.
0: It's awesome.
2: It swings out and locks into place.
0: That should work out pretty well for you. I think a buddy of mine had that for a bench grinder at oh, one point. Okay.
2: I've never yeah. seen it done, but I think uh, I think that it's working out. I actually, right before I had to come inside to do this, I got the brackets mounted and the uh, the deck attached. Now, let's set the grinder on, and, yeah, I think it's working great. The only thing I'm slightly concerned about is the height that it's going to be coming out to because the lathe stand, since I'm not that tall, I am only making it 32 inches tall. That way, whenever the the, the lathe is on, I'm still at a comfortable position. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, the grinder is pretty much going to be resting at 32 inches off the ground. So I'm going to try it out and see if I like it and see if, it's, see if it's too low or not. I
1: don't think you'll have a problem with it. Well, I was watching.
2: Yeah. I mean, because even the way that you have your grinder grinder mounted, it's not, it's not that much
1: taller. No, that's what I was going to say. Mine is literally just bolted to a piece of plywood and then the plywood sits onto the foot of my bandsaw, uh, base plate of my bandsaw drill press. I don't know why I said bandsaw. It's drill press. Anyway, um, it's just sitting on there, so it, it slides around a little bit, and that's
0: fine. I thought you were going to say that it's bolted to a piece of plywood sitting on sawhorses. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that should be a, a nice like aerial view of what you're working on. I, th- I think it'll be a good height for you.
2: Yeah, I hope so. But other than that, the skin's coming out just fine. I built it kind of stocky so that it wouldn't want to walk around, and... Um, yeah, pretty happy with it so far. Almost done with it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get it done today. I'm, uh, I have two drawers and pretty much the top to put on. But then I also wanted to add in a collapsible wing on the side so that I could um, have support for the extension whenever I'm using the extension. But I think that I might I might have to wait until I get back from Atlanta to start on all that.
0: Nice. Jay, what do you, what do you got going? I have
1: been back and forth and back and forth and back and forth on a couple different ideas for a project this week. Um, but just to back up a little bit, Monday, I spent all of the day designing a, uh, my next, I guess, really big project, which is going to be a computer arm, armoire. I hate that word, man. You just
0: got it. You got it. I got
1: it right. Armoire. Yeah. Man, there's, there's some words that just kick you in the butt and that's one of them for me. Anyway, um, it's a big cabinet basically that I can put all of my office inside of and just shut the doors and you don't see any of the crap and clutter, which is something that I want. And it'll actually look like a nice piece of furniture in the house rather than like an office desk in the house. So I'm excited about it. Uh, but that's going to be, I don't know, probably after this whole um, Cincinnati, Michigan trip in September. Because I'm I'm leaning towards using some nice wood forks. It, it is going to be a nice piece of furniture. So I'm thinking about going with cherry Maybe hickory to match the rest of the stuff, or match the uh, dining table I just made, but not exactly sure on it. But for this week, I've gone back and forth on making, uh, I was going to make some type of rectangular bread box sized utensil holder, similar to uh, the one you made April, but maybe a little bit lower profile to, to rest in the back of the countertop and hold the items vertically. And then I thought, well... If it's going to be that size, I might as well make a bread box. And I'm like, eh, I don't want to make a bread box. Well, if it's going to be that size, I should just make like a gift box to give to somebody. Oh, I don't want to make a gift box. <laughs> so I ended up deciding on... All of this kind of spawns off one, of, one from the previous one. But I ended up deciding on making um, dovetail joinery suspended utensil shelves. So basically like a long rectangle... That I can slide my utensils in forward, but hangs from the bottom of the cabinet. So it's somewhat low profile, but I still have ready access to them right by my stove.
2: Mm hmm. How are you gonna deal with the depth?
1: Um, the front to, bath, front to back depth.
2: Uh huh. Just for shorter utensils versus longer. That's why I ended up cutting in the angle on mine. So because so many utensils just vary, like of course all the whisk and stuff like that are shorter in length than the big like pasta. And, and tongs and stuff.
1: Right. I figured I would just um, leave it at full depth. And, you know, the vast majority of the stuff that I use is, is those just cheapo plastic ones that are all the same length anyway. Oh, good. Um, So the quick access ones I can keep up there. But the stuff that I use very rarely, I can keep in the drawer that I normally have them in now, which is overcrowded and hard to open, which is the reason behind making this project. Um, but even so, if I want to store some of the smaller ones up there, I think I just put them in handle first and then just stop at the end of it, you know, so they're almost sticking out. Mm -hmm. But I want to make it so that it's, it looks kind of good. It'll be hanging down below the cabinets by three or four inches. So all you'll be able to see is a contrasting wood dovetail along its full depth. Hopefully, hopefully it'll turn out good.
2: I'm sure it will. How did the, uh, the easel turn out for you? Were you happy with it?
1: Yeah, I'm very happy with it. It was a, um, simple project. Uh, I hate painting. I really, really hate painting. It wasn't even pa- that big. <laughs> yeah, but just, uh, I, I don't know. I've painted so much at my last job. I used to uh, be maintenance for an apartment complex, and then I'd have to paint like 30 or 40 apartments during turnaround season. And then like once a week after that, throughout the whole year. And And I've got fairly good at painting like houses, interior spaces. But, man, that'll burn burn you out really quick after that I lo- left that job I was like, I do not want to touch another paintbrush
0: <laughs> yeah i could I could see it, anything in that quantity for me would burn me out. I mean that April's fence turned out awesome, and I've built a couple of fences, so I know when she was saying about the monotony of it's not necessarily difficult, it's just the size of the project.
2: It's just a lot,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, that fence turned out fantastic, by the way. It looks so Thanks. good. Your, your before and after pictures, I'm like, dang, that looks I am so good.
2: Like literally everybody in the neighborhood has stopped by. And I love it because I'm sitting here drinking my coffee and I have the windows open or the blinds open and I see somebody driving by and they'll slow down. I'm like, that's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Go
2: ahead. Take your time and check out that fence.
0: <laughs> Those top caps, I think, are what really made it with the two different moldings underneath.
2: I tell you what. I love the inside better than the outside. Um, I didn't, I didn't really think it was going to be that way. I just thought that that it would uh, kind of pacify having to put the ugly side of the fence inside and the pretty side out. But now that the entire fence is done, I honestly I love the inside more than the out. So, yeah, I,
1: I remember us having that conversation where you were a little bummed about that having to put the inside in. You know, the typical inside yep. in, uh, so everyone else could see the pretty side, but like I said, I was I was looking at your before and after pictures. I was like, man, the inside looks great. Outside, I, I mean, it. it looks good, but the inside looks really good. I think.
2: Yeah, especially because the the poles are nice and kind of chunky. Somebody asked me in the first video, how are you going to get around making the boxes not look chunky? And I was thinking, you know, they're probably going to just look beefy just because the the poles are three and a half inch diameter, and there's no way around it. But now, looking at them, I think they're nicely proportioned with the size of the stringers and the pickets, and so I just think it all goes together well. And like I tell you what, this is this is the biggest job I have taken on to date, and nothing went wrong. I was shocked at how smooth the entire project went. Uh, the gate was a little technical, tricky, just trying to figure out when to cut it and how to attach it and do the relief cuts, but I was shocked at how just kind of seamless the entire thing went. Don't get me wrong. It's the hardest because of just how big of the quantity was, but yeah, no, no big mistakes or anything.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you guys want to jump into some questions?
2: Yeah, we have plenty of them.
0: <laughs> yeah. For those that, uh, don't follow any of us on social media, uh, we posted, uh, about a day in advance if you guys had any questions on Instagram. So if you guys don't follow us on Instagram, definitely check us out on there. Jay, you want to take the first question?
1: Uh, first question is actually a comment uh, we received from Todd Clippinger. Previously, we had a discussion about um, duplicating parts on the lathe and he had a great suggestion. He said he was just listening to the podcast and one of the subjects you subjects we were talking about was making repetitive shapes on the lathe. One way to do this is to place a drawing of the shape you are turning below your stock and put a harsh light above it so that the stock casts a shadow on the paper or template. Then as you turn the stock, make the shadow match the drawing. Uh, And then he provided a video with a timestamp, and we will put that in the show notes here. And that's just an absolutely awesome, awesome idea and technique. Uh, We watched a little bit of the video previously, uh, just before recording here. And yeah, it it works fantastically. It's one of those things that you see and you're like, holy cow, why didn't I think of that? That makes so much sense. And it's so simple.
2: And it's so cool.
1: Yeah, it is really cool.
2: I, I can't wait to try it out.
0: That is, yeah, that's a really interesting technique. I just got to glance at the video, but I'm guessing the, the light source has to remain constant the entire time because I would guess the shadow line would then change.
1: Yeah, I was thinking that too. It would probably have to be um, uh, maybe as long as your actual stock is. So maybe maybe your fluorescent tube would do better. Uh, but if you have too much, if if you have, say, like a, 24 inch long spindle you're trying to duplicate and you have a single light source in the middle well then obviously your shadow is going to be distorted on the outside so it's something to play around with but the idea and the concept is just fantastic
0: yeah and another thing probably you know photographers talk about that all the time as far as hard light or soft light and you definitely want hard light in that case because then you'd have a crisp shadow line you wouldn't want a diffused soft shadow line but no very interesting uh, yeah, thanks, Todd, for for sending that. Though definitely, really cool. thank
2: you. That's a great one. Uh,
0: the next question is from Zwart Two. I love all these Instagram handles, but uh, uh, I need an affordable sharpening setup. Not looking to drop hundreds of dollars on stones or commercial sharpening jigs. Uh, honing guide and stone recommendations would be great. Um, mine is pretty simple as far as um, you know, like chisels or, or irons. Um, right now, well, technically I do have some Shabton stones. Jay gave me those, but, uh, before oh, just, that,
1: those are just, uh, Japanese water stones. They're not the Shabtons.
0: Oh, okay. I didn't even, didn't even use them or anything yet. So that's, <laughs> uh, but I just had, uh, a four sided, um, uh, cheapo, diamond plate with the different color coded thing. I have it listed on my website if you go to my tools page, but, uh, I used that in my plane restoration video and it kind of bugs me because I didn't get the right footage. There was still a nick in the plane iron when I was showing it, and I just didn't get footage of the nick being gone when I got it done. But um, I think my complete setup for that was 20 bucks. I got a sheet, a piece of plate glass and some, like, 1500-grit sandpaper, a uh, chunk of leather, and just dropped it after the 1500-grit. But um, you can definitely get really good results, the honing guide everything.
1: Yeah, for sure. The uh, the inexpensive route that I would always recommend is a a, a flat surface of some type, uh, either a piece of plate glass or uh, take a nice straight edge with you into like Home Depot or Lowe's or some flooring company and find a flat piece of granite that you can buy for a dollar or two dollars, and uh, use the sandpaper on a flat surface like that, and you can get uh, great results with it. Now, obviously, your sandpaper and such will wear out uh, honing guide. There's like a cheapo, like $14 generic honing guide that you can see a single wheel honing guide that you can see all over Amazon and such. I've got that and I've had to modify it with a, a triangular file to get it to actually hold properly. Cause it wasn't machined right. Um, uh, but an inexpensive route, you can get one of those and Hey, if you get a good one, you get a good one. If not, you can modify it. Um, and we'll post links to uh, all this stuff down below as well or in the in the show notes i keep saying down below like it's a video like it's on youtube um but yeah just sandpaper is 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 awesome and also really quick too a leather strop it, that's inexpensive and uh was it chromium oxide paste that that green stuff um that stuff lasts a long time a really long time and just that extra step after sandpaper it makes things crazy sharp.
0: Yeah. It's one of those cheap things and you don't even have to buy a strop. I mean, you could, you know, they sell them on Amazon, you know, glued to a board or, or not, but you can essentially just grab a piece of a leather, um, you know, thicker, like hide leather. And yeah, it brings it that much closer to being just mere polish, mere polish razor sharp.
2: The pie w- workshop says, what do you do with your sawdust when your collection bag is full? Um, if it's winter, I burn it. And if it's not winter, then I throw it in the trash.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I, um, if I've got some logs and stuff that need to be burnt, uh, on the property, I'll stack them up into a pile and then sawdust is great kindling to get the, get it going. But if not, then I've got, uh, tons of wooded land behind my property. So I just walk back five, 10 feet inside the wooded land and dump it.
0: I, uh, I I mostly burn mine now. Uh, a buddy of mine used to take it and use it for compost um, additive, uh, but he's not doing that much anymore, so he doesn't have a much of a need for it. But, um, yeah, burning it, and uh, if, if, if you guys are familiar, I forget what actual, like, physical, you know, thing this is, but the it's a mass to surface area ratio. So if you have something like wood flour, which is more like sanding dust, You could put that in a ketchup bottle with a real small tip, and then throw it into a flame, and it just—it's like a blowtorch. Try that at your own risk, but (laughs) I'm sure. I
1: was
2: was actually going to say I I was sitting around a fire. That's what we do to entertain the nieces and nephews: is I give them my bag full of sawdust, and then I give them all their own cup, and they'll scoop it out and then throw it in the fire, and they—they're entertained for hours until the whole bag's gone, and then I'm just sitting there getting rid of my sawdust, not having to do
1: anything.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, moving on to the next one, Jaden3 wants to know what our thoughts are on the Origin Shaper.
1: I had to ask Nick what the Origin Shaper was. Now, I had seen it, but I just didn't make the correlation. So you want to explain to everybody what it is?
0: Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm no expert on it either. I've only heard about it for a day or two now. Uh, it's a router that has a integrated um, servo system and a screen and a camera. And you put down uh, what looks to be like, you know, like the plain pieces of dominoes, but they're on tape. And that's to kind of establish where, where the router is on the workpiece and where it is um, in general. But you kind of use the camera to, you know, show the router where it is, and then you upload like a simple file, uh, probably a vector file. And the grips that you're holding onto are independent of the actual router or spindle. So you're basically tracing, you're, you're coloring, you know, the lines, tracing the lines, but the inaccuracies of a human tracing line, the servos compensate for it in real time. So if you wanted to do a straight line, you'd push the router in a straight line following the screen. And if you deviate a little bit to the left or to the right, it'll compensate for that to give you a, essentially in, in, in theory, a perfectly straight line. And if you deviate too far off course, it'll actually Uh, plunge, uh, reverse plunge the router and and bring it up. So I, I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome technology. Um, I'm not one of these purists to say CNCs are bad or, you know, or anything wrecks woodworking. I I like to see uh, all sorts of different uh, technologies advance and different, you know, machinery evolve. And so I'm all for it. I was looking at it and it's, priced reasonable for what it is, considering you're getting essentially a CNC that you run by hand and you're really almost limitless to the size of the piece.
2: That's
1: cool. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting concept. Uh, Jimmy DeResta. well, depending on what what time you're listening to this video, but Jimmy DeResta, his latest video, uh, he he showed it in it. but yeah, the handheld CNC machine—it's—it's it's incredibly interesting. Would I use one in my shop? I probably wouldn't use one, but that's not to say that I don't like it or don't like the technology behind there. I think it's—it's it's awesome.
0: I, think I would there's definitely
2: what, go ahead. Matt. Go ahead.
0: Well, I was going to say, I one thing I would like, and maybe it does it right out of the box, but what I would like to see is any type of. Um, scribing that somebody would have to do a, around complicated profiles like architectural moldings, can you take a picture of that quickly in the field and then vectorize that and if you have to butt a cabinet or a piece of paneling is is there a way to quickly you know scribe something like that because it would have to be quicker than scribing it with a compass in, in a jigsaw so
1: that's that 's interesting as well all right, so the next one is from WTF name is and the question is April who is the bigger Joker Jay or Nick I know you guys have had a lot of fun working together that's a no brainer
2: yeah that is a no brainer Nick but it's really funny the different personalities especially of us three because editing this week's video and just looking at all the footage that's not that's just us like goofing around Jay you're actually really funny but you're in in a completely like not making an, a a ride out joke, but you are you are like a goof and you and you enjoy goofing off, but it's just a totally different goof than Nick is, but definitely Nick by far beats both of us. you put Jay and I together and Nick still beats us
1: <laughs> yeah Nick is definitely a jokester
0: that's it's the nicest way of saying a lot to handle <laughs> <laughs> I was actually gonna
1: say a lot to handle. um but if you guys get the opportunity to uh meet Nick at um like wia or any other event going forward uh definitely uh hang around him for just a little bit and you'll realize that he is a big jokester big time
2: (laughs) it's not a bad thing though
0: no no it's smiles make the world go round people think it has to do with physics no it's
2: smiles (laughs) okay braxton who also braxton has a youtube channel doesn't he
0: yes he does
2: let's see we all know woodworking is awesome but what are some things you all enjoy doing outside of the shop
1: Long walks on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, outside the shop, I like to play chess all the time. Like that's my, if I got five minutes to kill or if I'm, I'm um, you know, waiting in line at the grocery store or something like that, the technologies these days is awesome. Uh, just pull out my phone and start playing chess with somebody on the internet. Other than that, just playing with my dogs or enjoying time with my wife. Kind of boring. <laughs>
2: Oh, well, it's not like we get much free time anyway. So, right. Nick, what about you?
0: Um, I would, I like to cook. Um, it, I don't know. I was t- completely caught off guard. I was on another page, but no, I, I like to cook. Um, somewhat, you know, modern people would say I'm a foodie. I don't like that nomenclature, but, um, what else? It, it, this is kind of boring, like, like Jay's, but I like to hang out with my kids, my wife, my, my family, um both my boys make me laugh and we were just talking about the the goofiness and joking around i always think if if somebody can make me laugh we're we're gonna get along and they're a pretty cool person because i think it takes a lot to make me laugh and uh, my kids make me laugh so <laughs> mostly because they're just as goofy as i am but
1: it's gonna be a handful in about 10 years mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I feel
0: bad for my wife a lot of times i feel like she's outnumbered if we just go to the store and you got both my boys and myself just acting like 10 year olds. and my wife's just like, "Oh gosh, why, why do I even know these people?" So <laughs> I, I'm not going to get into it any deeper. It's just some, some funny stories. Uh, but yeah, that was from Braxton Worthland, so thank you, Braxton. Uh, the next one uh, from Edge High edJHIII. Uh, which glue do you guys all use? <laughs> type on two, three Elmer's, uh, any reasons why?
1: Uh, type on two is my go-to glue. It just works. Um, type on three. Um, if it's going to be an outdoor project, I'll use it, but I tend to stick away from it for indoor projects because the glue line on type on three is like a dark brown, which is noticeable sometimes. And if it's something that I really, um, don't care about to, uh, Uh, like a shop project or some jig that I'm throwing together really quick and I don't really care about glue squeeze out or something like that. There's another glue called, I don't know the exact name. It's M P A two, like Mike, Peter, alpha two, and it dries crystal clear. So if I'm just slapping together a jig or something for the shop, then I'll use it because I don't worry about glue squeeze out and it doesn't stick out like a sore thumb, like say type on two or three Um, glue squeeze out does. Uh, but yeah, just the boring
0: response of the normal glues.
2: Same here, two for regular go to, and then three for anything exterior.
0: Uh, me, I, I guess Type on two. It's just kind of been my tried and true for the last few years. Um, when I started woodworking, though, I don't. I, I'm sure yellow glue was available. I mean, I'm not you know 900 years old, but uh, we just used regular white school glue, and. I've got really decent results with that, so if that's all that's of av- and you know what in in Europe uh a lot of their you know sold as wood glues are white. I'm not saying that they can't add a you know yellow number five to make it yellow glue, but um yeah, white glue just you know use use what you uh have available to you. I had a shop teacher that had some hide glue we played around with, but that was never as convenient for me
1: all right, ox in the shop says joinery. What are y'all's favorite methods and least favorite and why do you like them and dislike them? That's a loaded question. I think joinery is uh, first and foremost uh, a circumstance answer, like what fits this particular project or situation, and then you can modify based upon what you like or whatever. Um, So if I'm going for something with looks, here lately I have, well. And this year I've gotten into making some dovetails, so I like the look of them. So that's right now my, I guess you could say, go-to for something that I want to look good. But for any, if I, if I don't care about the looks, anyone that fits that application, you know?
0: Mine, I would say for, if I had to pick one, it is like a go-to uh, joinery method that I use and I love is half-lap. And I use that a lot with 2x4s in structural members and theater sets and stuff. And it's relatively quick and easy. Um, if, if you're really looking for strong, the more precise I think you can get those, the better. A nice friction fit. And then least favorite, um, or why do I dislike them? Uh, I would probably say like a miter lock bit for right angle like drawer fronts. Just because of how precise you need to be with that bit to get that joint to turn out good. So that'd probably be my least favorite.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. I recently uh, did half laps to put together my my gate frame, and I loved it. And then, uh, so for the lay stand, I'm doing half laps. Well, I guess they're not really considered half laps, but I, I also think that they're very quick and easy. It's simple to, especially if you're using 2 by 4s or 2 by 6s it's very simple to get them correct on the first go. And least favorite... I don't really have a least favorite yet. Uh, I haven't really even tried all of the joinery methods out there yet, but all the ones that I have tried, I mean, like what Jay said, it just all depends on uh, the project and circumstance. So I go with whatever one works.
1: I guess a better answer for me would be my, my most favorite is both dominoes and pocket holes because the internet hates them. And then my least favorite is both dominoes and pocket holes because the internet hates them.
2: There you go.
0: Uh, moving on to the next question, I had to make sure to put this one in here. Uh, Bud Hefner wants to know favorite Ninja Turtle and go
1: Donatello,
2: Raphael.
0: I'm I'm a Donatello guy as well. It's just, I mean he's he's got the wooden tool, so
2: <laughs> the staff. Yeah. yeah, he's cool. The engineer scientist. I just I like Raphael. He has a little bit more attitude.
0: He's the one with the sai. Yep. Okay. Two of them. A multiple. He's a parasite.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Matt Darista, love the podcast, guys. Much love. Do you guys like making custom stuff for customers?
2: No.
1: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, yeah, I used to, but not anymore. Um, and maybe this is going to sound arrogant, but I'll, hell, I'll say it. Uh, I, I, I like for people to see my work and then come to me and and have a certain level of trust. Now granted they can they can look for what they want size-wise or maybe species of wood, but I don't want somebody over my shoulder micromanaging saying no no no, I want this exact, you know, I want this no I want the I know it's I'm not, you know, a production, it's it's more you're getting a piece of me when I build it. It's more art than it is um, you know, production level furniture. You know, you're not picking stain and finish and wood a la carte. So I uh, no, I don't typically enjoy it.
2: Yeah. I don't, I don't enjoy doing commission work. I don't mind building stuff for my parents, but outside of them, I'm not, I'm not interested in doing custom work for other people, dealing with other people's wants and needs. And like what you said, kind of micromanaging, but also with their time schedule. And it takes away from building the whole huge list of things that I personally want to build. And, um, well, fortunately I'm not in a position where I have to build things for other people. So it's not a, it's not a road I want to go down.
0: Yeah. I'll
1: hit the easy button and just say ditto to what April said. Exactly.
0: And one thing too, if for anyone that is going to get into that, we actually had that question. I don't know if I put it in the, in the notes for us to talk about, but, um, anytime anyone has really ever come up to me and they say, Hey, I, I want to build this, or can you make this? I immediately ask two very important questions. Timeline for completion and budget, because some people are, you know, if it's, you know, it could be like a a high boy or a secretary and and they want it done in a week, not going to happen, at least not for my production capabilities and budget. Some people think that you can have solid cherry bunk beds, you know, with a dresser made for 200 bucks and that's just, you know, not going to happen. So those are, those are, really two quick questions that you can eliminate a lot of headaches and limit the amount of wasted time that you're dealing with that person because, you know, and if they can't answer those questions, then have them come back to you when they can.
1: All right. Next question is from Nicholas Gomez. He says, how do you handle rejection from your spouse after showing them your latest project? And the first thing uh, I'd like to, I guess, say is it's perfectly okay if two people don't like the same thing. Um, No, it's not. It, well, you know, except if the other person is like, you know, anybody else other than me. Um, so this is funny because the last day, which we've talked about this previous, the last day in Wisconsin, we all three of us made clocks. I was so excited about my clock. I still am. I absolutely love the way my clock looks. And when I got it home, I set it on the table. I'm just like, you're just all excited and finally showed Jamie. And she's like, yeah, I don't like it.
0: It's like, that's oh, kind of a downer.
1: Okay. Well. I do. So, nah. So
0: how, how how did that how did that make you feel? How did you deal with that the the emotions that came flooding in?
1: Well, Nick, I was sitting on the couch when the news broke and then um I probably just got up and walked away to be honest with you.
2: What did you do with the clock? Cuz you were going to put, be putting it in your
1: office. It's no, it's sitting in my living room w- living room where my wife can see it every day.
2: Oh, she ended up liking it? No. Like it grew on her?
1: <laughs> no. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's in there. <laughs> No, she doesn't care. Uh, She doesn't really like it. It's just not her style, which is totally cool, but it's in my living room.
0: I I typically don't have to deal with that as much because uh, when I'm building something for the house, it typically is out of necessity, and my wife and I do talk about it fairly in-depth, and we come to a friendly compromise, um, fancy words for she typically wins, Um, so she (laughs) typically gets what she wants. (laughs) Yeah. But no, I mean, and we, we like the same stuff, which is uh, uh, definitely helps. I mean, she's not into like Victorian uh, or Queen Anne style. Um, you know, we're, we're both kind of shaker, green and green uh, type stuff.
2: Yeah, I guess the same is is, is true here. Uh, C- Cody kind of gives me free reign to do whatever I want. And like, I've never asked him, hey, does this look okay to you? I just go out to my shop and I build it like that utensil holder and then I put it in our kitchen. I don't even think he notices that I built a utensil holder. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like really awesome. Uh, yeah, he doesn't, I mean, he just doesn't even mind. I never run anything by him. I guess he's just like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Perfect. Sure. You know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I get Stacy's opinion oftentimes when it comes to color. Um, painting things or painting rooms or buying um bed sets of certain colors i am not an interior decorator uh, i don't claim to be i would never even play one on tv uh it's, it i need help when i when picking out color cuz I'm I'm very gray. I'm wearing a gray shirt right now. And if it wasn't for my YouTube channel and my wife said, go out and get some colored shirts. So like I got bright lime green, bright red. And she's like, you know, they make other colors other than like the primaries and the rainbow colors. I'm like, well, (laughs) I don't know.
1: (laughs) I will say that though, that, that stuff like the first project in a long time that Jamie hasn't liked or approved of. So, you know, vast majority of everything we're on the same page with, but it's okay for her not to like, you know, things occasionally.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, we got another question from Alex Wolf. I have a bunch of extra screws and drill bits in addition to my box sets. These extra bits don't have a home and I can't seem to find an empty storage case that's comparable to the M- MBPS sets you can buy. Do you have any suggestions on bit storage?
0: It depends if you want them out and about. I mean, are these going to be, you know, every project you're going to try and use these? Or do you want them stored away for essentially back stock? So that would dictate what type of storage you would build for them. Uh, a lot of times you can go online and find, you know, empty drill bit cases and things of that nature to where they're not, like, clipped in, but they're more compartmental. And that way, you know, if you have a bunch of eighth-inch drill bits and you, you're just waiting to break one, that way you could put them out, either that or if you want them out and about, you know, block of wood with a bunch of holes in it.
2: Well, more than that, I think the, the way that you have your drills, uh, your bits stored in that tour, I can't speak today, in that uh, toolbox of yours, Nick, it has like dividers and like what he said, he might have five eighth inch drill bits and they're all just like in a little in a little section inside of a bigger box. And so it's walled off and each each drill bit just has its own little section. So you can have one or you can have five or six. And you just lay them in there. So instead of having a case that has an individual slot for only one eighth inch drill bit to go, you have an entire box. And you can move those dividers around almost like, um, I think Sandra Powell, sawdust girl, ended up making one out of wood. So you can either buy a prefab one out of metal, like what Nick has, or build your own out of wood.
0: Yeah, that's what I, I, would, what I was saying. I referenced the compartmentalized. That's Yeah, so like long-term storage. Although, I do want to change my where my drill bits are to where eventually when I get a full-length drill press, I want, I want all the bits right there. But that's, who knows when that'll be.
1: I've got all of my drill bits. If they came in a kit, then they're still in that particular container. And if I got loose drill bits, I've got a uh, drawer below my drill press that all of my loose drill bits just just flop around into i not too picky about drills drill bits but like uh what is it quarter inch hex bits for like drivers and such mm-hmm. um just drill a couple of holes into a board and screw that board to something like on my miter saw station the right wing uh, of my miter saw station is a just a piece of two by material with like six holes drilled vertically in it for my most commonly used hex bits there's not that many that you use all the time so I just store mine right there ready within reach and I do have like a whole drawer full of extras so if one breaks or one strips out or something just toss it and get the other one and put it in there
2: or I uh, I do something similar but instead of a holes drilled in wood I just uh, a long bar magnet and that I screwed the magnet or the bracket that comes around the magnet that I purchased at northern tool they sell them in three different long uh, bars and I, I drilled it to the side of my drill press stand, and that's exactly where I keep the my three popular extensions and a few other things, like the key the key check to my drill press and a like I said, just a few bits and bob's random ones
0: that's a that's a really good tip, April, about the long bar magnet because then you're not you're not setting yourself up for this is how it has to be always mm-hmm. Next week, you could be like, "Oh, no, I'd rather keep this bit over here and then you just put it over there. I like that idea
2: yeah, it works it works well. I need to go get some more because I only have the one to the right of the drill press, but it also keeps everything nice and in the open where you just literally reach and grab it. It's not tucked away in a drawer somewhere.
0: Uh, Let's go to the next one. Joshua Luther. Uh, I just acquired an old lathe that came with some traditional tools. I currently don't have a slow speed grinder to sharpen them. How would I go about sharpening them in the time being until I can afford a bench grinder? Should I make my own carbide lathe tools or should I save up for a bench grinder?
1: I would suggest if you're going to get... (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm a fan of traditional tools, and to sharpen them, use a bench grinder, slow speed grinder. Um, a slow-speed grinder. A slow-speed grinder, or a regular grinder for that matter, has a lot more uses than just lathe tools. So I think that could be a, a, a tool to benefit in more places than just the lathe. I would suggest doing that. Um, but can you make... I, I've never made any lathe uh, carbide lathe tools, but can you make lathe carbide... I'm sorry, carbide lathe tools without a grinder?
0: Um, well, I think he's meaning about buying the inserts and just, uh, you know, getting some square bar stock and milling away a section and then tapping the hole. and Gotcha. Yeah. I'm I'm probably on the traditional tools as well. I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a lathe turner with years of experience by any means, but um, I second what Jay said too about the bench grinder or slow speed grinder. It's not, you're not limited to just your lathe tools you can you know shape um sharpen you know plane irons with that and all sorts of i mean if you want to get down to the nitty-gritty and change out you know for a coarser grit i mean you could you know, sharpen lawnmower blades or wh- whatever you know
1: yeah and, and how to sharpen them in the meantime um well that's tough with traditional tools because there's different shapes and such uh you know any abrasive material like sandpaper on a wooden block you'll be there all day but you can touch up some edges with it
2: that's actually one of the first things that i've That I purchased. I purchased the traditional tools, and then I also purchased the um, that bowl bowl gouge um, guide or
0: Mm -hmm.
2: what? What is it called? I forget the exact name of it.
0: Wolverine, like Ellsworth grind.
2: Mm -hmm. That way, you can uh, just get that shape, grinded down. Because I know that y'all said that um, most tools don't come to where you can just use them right off the shelf. So those were the first two things that I that I purchased.
0: And one thing to keep in mind, too, Joshua, is um, you're you're going to be sharp. If you're on any any amount of time on the lathe, you're going to be sharpening them often. So it's not like, what do I do in the meantime? It it really is, you know, there's not, a, at least in my opinion, not a better answer other than to, to get a slow speed grinder uh, just because, you know, you're going to want to touch them up from time to time. And, you know, you're not going to want to do that by hand I, unless you're talking like a skew or something, you know, something that's you can do it on a flat stone but yeah and
1: if somebody else has any other options to sharpen lathe tools without a slow speed grinder maybe by hand or something uh let us know in the comments to this uh particular podcast episode yeah
0: definitely i I'd, I'd be curious too if i mean cuz obviously there has to be a way to do it all right this is this is a jam packed question here from Ricky Chisholm. uh if space was unlimited and budget was pretty much open how do you guys how would you guys build your shop? Size, framing material, two hundred twenty volt electrical in the floor, dust collection in the floor, etc.
1: Oh man, we're talking dream shop here, right? Yep. Uh, that that's something. If you're talking like dream shop to last you the rest of your life, rest of your life, then you're you're talking a lot of time and effort just put into the, the thinking about it. So just spewing stuff off the top of my head, I would say about one and a half times the space that I have now, which would be about 20 by 30. I think that would be a good size for me for the tool set that I have, plus the tools that I would like to have. And then um, I would also like to have some type of shaded workspace outside as well. That would be awesome. Luckily, my garage faces north and I am in the northern hemisphere, so I don't have I have no direct sun sunlight coming into my garage. Um, but in the winter times it's nice to still work in the shade to where the sun's not shining down on you. Uh, so I would like to have something like that. but also um framing material. I don't know if that really matters for me as long as the insides are just built normally Too that
2: insulation uh, definitely.
1: Oh yeah, it would have to be insulated. 220 in the floor, I don't know on that because that's easy, easy to move uh, as shop layouts change. Dust collection in the floor, I would never do that just because it's it's so hard to change if need be.
0: I would do, I would do dust collection in the floor as well as electrical, uh, more so dust collection. I live in Wisconsin, so it's cold here. I would love radiant floor uh, heating. And then as far as framing material, I would love to do... Uh, wood studs but uh, with uh, two by six uh, top plates and sole plates to where uh, each uh, stud in the wall is on the other surface the two by four studs so that the insulation actually weaves between them i hope that makes sense but so basically when you attach a drywall to the inside that's not on the stud that the outer sheathing is on and it, it essentially creates a very soundproof wall And I would just love to be able to be in my shop at 2 in the morning making all sorts of racket and not have anyone hear me, even if I'm out in the middle of the woods. I don't want to scare the deer away. I'm I'm a big fan of the deer.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think I would like um, almost two separate shops and one building, a wood and a metal. And I would like the wood to be on one side and then like a bathroom and then the metal shop to where I could walk into either or. And it's still in the same building from the outside, but it's separated inside. And then in the wood side, I would like a turning section that's partitioned off. At least uh, one wall partition, not like boxed in. And then for there to be a big bay door to where on nice weather, I could wheel it outside and uh, turn outside under some shade if I wanted to. Uh, I'd also like a finishing room, radiant flooring, definitely. And then, of course, AC and a booming sound system.
0: I forgot to mention too, when April mentioned like a, a, a spraying or finishing area, I would love a spray booth to where I could spray lacquer and stuff. And, but with some sort of heat exchanger, because, you know, being I live in a cold climate, it's really tough. I, I actually, seasons dictate what I'm using for a finish oftentimes, because I'm not going to heat the garage mm-hmm. and then exhaust it all out real quickly. Um, just cause I want to spray some lacquer.
1: All right. Well, we appreciate all of the questions as always, and uh, be sure to check out our Instagram pages and social media and such because we may do this in the future. Probably we'll keep doing this in the future because that's a quick way to get instant questions, and they're directly from you guys, so that's awesome. Uh, but we also want to remind you that there's a couple different ways you can stay up to date with the podcast and get notified of any new content. Go to the thewoodworkingpodcast.com. And at the top, you'll find clickable buttons for Android, RSS, or iTunes. And if you are an iTunes user, be sure to uh, drop us a review. Uh, We do appreciate that. And as always, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time.
0: I second the review thing. I was reading them the other day, so thanks, guys. See you guys later.
1: Bye, everybody.